Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, temporarily back in New York City. I've been spending much of the month of July in New Jersey, as many of you know, where I have been engaging in the World Series of Poker Online Two States Only edition. The games have been kind of tough, but I did manage to score another first place finish and this one was in a $50 buy-in that had a $3,200 first place prize. So that's a pretty decent return on investment right there. What was funny was I was actually playing the final table of that event while, while doing commentary for the bracelet event out of which I had busted a few hours prior. So we didn't expect, it was a turbo, six max turbo event And I thought that I would have plenty of time to finish all the other tournaments that I was playing way before the stream would start because the streams have been starting around 1 or 2 a.m. Eastern time every night. But this stream actually started around 11 o'clock. Obviously, a turbo is uh, (laughs) much faster. So I didn't factor that in when I made the decision to enter that $50 tournament. And as it turns out, I ended up having to stay until the end because I won it. So it was kind of fun to try to do commentary on one tournament while being heads up uh, on another table at the same time. But David Tuckman is such a professional. He dealt with that and he dealt with a pretty severe lag. So he was asking me a question and it would take me five seconds to hear the question and then another five seconds for him to get my answer. But, you know, we made it work to the best of our ability. I hope to get another chance to get in the quote unquote virtual booth at some point in the next month or two. I believe they will have a live stream for each bracelet event, including the ones that are going to be starting up very soon on GG Poker. Okay, so speaking of GG Poker, so I've been playing on WSOP.com, which again, you can only do if you are in New Jersey or Nevada. So although it's being called a World Series of Poker, it's actually two states series of poker, which doesn't have the same ring. I initially found the games on there to be quite soft. Even the first couple of bracelet events I thought were pretty easy. Not that many pros per table. Uh, The players that were in there didn't really seem to know what they were doing. And I actually cashed in the first couple of events. Well, I haven't cashed since despite playing, I think, another six or seven. And part of that, of course, is variance. But a much bigger factor is just the games are getting much tougher. Last week, I played four tournaments, and I sat with Matt Berkey, Joseph Chung, Jamie Kerstetter, Tony Dunst, Ryan LaPlante, and I don't even know how many others because I don't even know everybody's screen names. These are just the ones that I was familiar with, and that doesn't even count the... uh, you know, more mortal regs that are pretty good as well. The games are tough. I definitely think that anyone who wins one of these bracelets this month 
even though they only have to play against players who are physically in New Jersey and Nevada. Those bracelets are well-earned, including the one that was won by someone sitting in a parking lot. <laughs> I believe his name is Ryan DePaolo. I don't know Ryan, but I'm impressed with his victory. I think you know the legend already has it that he was in a car in a shopping center parking lot. So uh, way to go, winning a bracelet under those conditions. So I hope to do the same, although I'm not actually using the uh, rest stop Wi-Fi method. I've been either staying with my cousin in Jersey City or finding uh, good rates on hotels that are not far from New York. Places like glamorous places like Secaucus, Parsippany, really bucolic and desirable destinations. That's where I've been. So wish me luck. My virtual summer has been going pretty well so far, despite only two caches in the actual bracelet events. Wisely, WSOP.com has beefed up its normal daily schedule, obviously with all of these players. With bankrolls on the site, the uh, $5 daily deep stack has been replaced with a $200 daily deep stack. Things like that are going on. So there's plenty of action. I mean, very few online players just want to do one table. One of the big advantages of online, obviously, is that you don't have to just play one table like you do live. So I've done a little better, obviously, in the side events. As you guys know, I've won three of them now in the last two weeks. So that's good, and that really helps the uh, bankroll to stay in the black as I generally lose in the bracelet events, and then I'm winning it back in the side events, which is often what happens, to be fair, when one goes to Vegas for the World Series of Poker. I remember one summer in particular, I believe it was 2013, where I played, I think, 16 events and had one min cash, but then did a summer saver by winning first place in the $600 Venetian <laughs> deep stack extravaganza event. So it doesn't matter where the money comes from as long as the money's coming in, right? So yeah, actually on that note, I made another pretty decent final table on Bet Online the other day. I know I mentioned that on our last podcast. And again, they do not sponsor this podcast. I'm just sharing information with you guys. Uh, I have found the games on Bet Online to be a lot better than the games on other similar sketchy websites. <laughs> so uh, I've been playing a lot more on there than I have on some of the others. And that's been my preference. I mean, obviously, the prize pools are much smaller. And so final tables are easier to make because they're not getting anywhere near the number of players, the sheer volume of players that they get on, say, an ACR. But I do feel that the uh, competition isn't quite as tough. And so I thought some of you might want to try that site as well. Let's get back to GG Poker. The World Series of Poker that actually extends outside of New Jersey and Nevada began this week. And I'm hoping that it will have a positive effect on my experience in competing for these United States World Series bracelets. Uh, I'm hoping that some of the players will be enticed by the guaranteed prize pools, the much higher buy-ins, and some of the other advantages that GG Poker is offering. It would be impossible for a player to compete in two World Series of Poker events at the same time. 
because you're either eligible to play on GG Poker, which means you're outside of the U.S., or you're not. So if Matt Berkey is so inclined to find a country that will accept an American uh, and he decides to go there, then I can look forward to not facing him in a $400 bracelet event this weekend because he'll be playing in a $5,000 bracelet event on Negranu's site. So that's what I'm hoping will happen. I will report back next week and let you guys know if I did see any distinct difference in the quality of the competition or if most of the players that are in the States are just staying in the States and playing in these events. Now, even the smaller buy-ins are getting six-figure prizes for first place. So there are very few of us that couldn't use another 100000 So it's definitely worth playing and staying in New Jersey and Nevada uh, for some of us. But I, I'm interested to see if people are planning to travel to faraway lands and creating a GG Poker account, even though they have the option of playing in Nevada or New Jersey. So that's my hope. One thing I'm struggling with generally in these games, I mean, there are basically two kinds of online players. There are some, so if you three bet with ace queen and get shoved on, there's a certain type of player that will always have jacks or better when they make that move. They'll never have ace jack. They'll never have like pocket sevens. They just would not make that play regardless of stack size or my table image or any number of factors that I'm used to considering. Some of these players will just never make that play without basically having the nuts. Maybe not even with jack. Some people would wait for queens are better plus ace-king. The problem for me is that a good 30 to 35% of my competitors in these events is capable of doing that with much worse, like ace-five suited, possibly even king-queen suited. And so I need to know who gets a call and who gets a fold. Now, I know that GTO says... You know, we're not putting numbers on it, but generally in these situations, it would be a call just to not be exploitable. Like once we three bet, we don't usually fold unless the shove is just so big that we're getting terrible pot odds. But one adjustment I make in live poker is I look my opponent up and down. You know, what is she wearing? How does she handle her chips? Uh, how old is she? How have I seen her play? throughout the day, what kind of conversation has she been having? Those sort of things. Now, when you're online, especially this year, you can't even chat with your opponents. So that whole idea of getting a read by what someone's saying or perhaps typing is eliminated because in this year's WSOP, they're not allowing chat at all for security or to prevent collusion or something. But uh, it's still, it, it definitely takes away from the game in my opinion, but it also takes away from my ability to figure out what's going on. So when I get moved to a new table or when I have too many tables open, I sometimes have to guess as to whether this opponent or that opponent has the tendency to make this kind of move. And a big reason for that is you can't use a HUD on WSOP.com. And I'm sure that some of you out there have found a way to make a HUD work or whatever, but the software is designed to prevent HUD usage. 
Anyway, as we've mentioned on this podcast before, I don't really typically use my HUD for that purpose, like to see who's loose and who's tight or whatever. But sometimes if you have enough hands on a certain player, you will have a feel for that player's general style. The problem is I don't play with these people enough, even with putting in the kind of volume I have been this month. I still don't really have a, a, an actual feel after 100 hands on, on an opponent or 200 hands on an opponent. You might get a basic initial read, but not enough to really make a key decision. And I think that's why so many of my opponents are basically sticking to a robotic GTO simulation uh, type of style. They're just they're not folding top pair under any circumstances because you need to have bluff catchers. And generally, the top pair is a good bluff catcher. They're trying to approximate Pio Solver approved frequencies for virtually all of their plays. And that does make them tough opponents, but it kind of eliminates uh, a big tool that the professional player has in his bag, which is exploitation. So... But maybe if you're playing 10 or 12 tables, you're not worried about being exploitative. You're more worried about not being exploitated. So I'm guessing that's what's going on with some of my opponents. And versus those opponents, I then have to try to revert to a GTO style myself. That's not really how I like to play. You guys know me by now. Uh, that's one reason I really prefer live because in live there's always way more information than there is online. But if that's what I have to do to get the money, that's what I'll do. And so I'm kind of making notes like this guy plays like a GTO bot and this one does not. So I know whether I should deviate or not from the basic theoretical strategy myself. And now before we get to the hand this week, I wanted to thank those of you who have reached out to me on Twitter at Clayton Comic after having listened to last week's episode where I asked for help setting up my Twitch. I was hoping to get this set up in time for this week's World Series of Poker action. Well, actually, to be fair, I wanted to have it ready for last week's, but it turns out my new laptop is defective, so I had to send it back and get a new one, so that's going to take a few days. So I'm hoping to get the Twitch stream up and running before the end of the World Series of Poker, at least for the U.S. main event, which is July 31st, a $1,000 buy-in main event. But there's also a real main event for the world uh, sometime in August on GG Poker that I, at this point, I don't expect to be playing in. Honestly, even if I did want to leave the country to gain eligibility, I'm not sure what countries a person from New York is allowed to even go to at this point. I'm lucky they let me into New Jersey after my city was the epicenter of the coronavirus, which we're not anymore, but that's a story for another day. All that just to say thank you guys for being willing to help me with my Twitch and the ongoing saga of me trying to set up twitch.tv slash Clayton comic will continue for at least another week, it looks like. Thanks again, guys, for being willing to uh, to pitch in and help this technical idiot <laughs> try to get started in the Twitch world. So here's an interesting hand from the $50 tournament that I won. Now, this tournament does not fit the description of 
what I was saying a moment ago about all the, you know, A-list headline bracelet winning world beating pros. I mean, they don't really play the $50 daily tournament, but that's fine with me because the thing's got a $15,000 guarantee that they have basically been blowing out of the water ever since the uh, quarantine began. So I'm, I'm fine with not having to face uh, the best in the world in this tournament. And I'm happy to play it because, you know, first prize 3200 for a $50 investment. To me, that's well worth my time and energy. Also, it's kind of fun to play in a field that is a little bit less professional. And this hand will be no exception to that. Uh, let's see. So there are 50-ish players left in the tournament. Something like 27 will uh, be in the money. So we're currently in first place with 130,000 and the average is only 35,000. So even at this point in the tournament, you know, we were doing quite well. The player on my immediate left, I'm in the big blind and the under the gun player limps in with 84,000 chips behind. So his M is 19. He's got, what is that? 42 big blinds. Um, he is a very, very loose and very passive amateur player. So he's on the site having some fun, probably like mostly just on the weekends. He hangs out and puts a couple hundred on and he plays a little poker. This is not a player who belongs to tournamentpokeredge.com. He hasn't read a lot of books on the subject and he's really just an kind of the quintessential amateur New Jersey player. So he limps in and now it folds all the way around to me in the big blind holding ace nine. So it's a little bit odd first off that this hand folded all the way around like that. It could be that players were starting to feel the sense of the bubble. Uh, it could be that they were afraid of the limper but most likely, just most of my opponents didn't really have much to work with. So, we have a decision here. I mean, Ace-Nine is certainly a hand that you could raise against this opponent if you want to. I decided not to, and my logic there is even the worst players nowadays know that you can limp in and then back-raise when somebody pumps it up in front of you. And they typically would do that under the gun with very powerful hands like aces and kings. So I'm not worried about him doing that with other hands. I think he probably would limp in with most of his middle pairs and probably just call if I opt to raise here. So I'm not concerned about getting outplayed by this opponent. But I still don't think that raising makes much sense when against him basically... Against a player of this type, my strategy is typically just to make a hand and then bet it because most of his mistakes will be of the call variety. So nothing tricky about this. We're just going to check and see a flop. And we do get a good one. It's the nine of diamonds, seven of clubs, and six of diamonds. So nine, seven, six with two diamonds, hero holding the ace of clubs and nine of hearts. So we've got top pair and top kicker. 
Uh, you could play this either way. You could certainly just bet right into him. Uh, the problem is he is going to raise when he limped in with aces and kings. And that's not a good situation for us. Getting raised by this player, we basically have to fold top pair. I prefer to check and see what he does. Just because he limped in doesn't mean that he has a monster or or nothing. Um, he would probably limp with a lot of hands because like most players at his uh, skill level, he will typically be limping rather than raising when first to enter a pot. He really could have a lot of hands here. But I decided to check because this board allows for quite a few draws. And I think that I can go for the check raise against most of them. Now, the key with check raising is the plan is to fold to a three bet. So if I check and this opponent bets, say, half the pot and then I 3x that and then he shoves, against this particular opponent, that's just not going to be a flush draw, like ever. It's going to be a made hand. He either flopped a straight with 10-8 or 8-5 or he flopped a set with pocket sevens or something like that. He's not going to put all of the stack in. He's got, remember, he's got uh, two times the average stack here. So he's not looking to put it all at risk without a made hand. So obviously I've been studying this opponent. I have a real sense of who he is. And I think that I'd had the pleasure of competing against him in previous tournaments because I had relatively copious notes on his playing tendencies. So for all those reasons, I check planning to check raise and fold if he three bets. So I check and he checks behind. So we're going to see a turn and it's the six of spades, which pairs the board. So now we have nine, seven, six, six with two diamonds here again, holding the ace of clubs, nine of hearts for top pair, top kicker. At this point, I don't want to check again. I feel like I can now turn my hand into uh, a value bet. He would probably call with a lot of draws, uh, possibly even two overcard type of hands. And I, I can get a lot of value from those hands. I think there is a about as close to 100% chance that we're in the lead now as, the, as you're ever going to see in poker. The only way we're not in the lead right now is if my opponent happens to have a six in his hand, which is extremely unlikely. So I'm going to basically play this like it's the nuts. Uh, versus this opponent, there's no need to worry about balancing my sizing. I'm just going to make a big value bet here and hope that he has something to call that bet holding. So I put out 4,900 into 6,800 and my opponent calls. So we're happy about this. We're loving life. The pot is now 16,600 and the river comes the queen of hearts for a final board of nine, seven, six, six queen. And we have ace nine. So there's no, there's no uh, flush that came in against most skilled opponents. I would be pretty careful how I play this river. Uh, I would be cautious about betting the river because I would be afraid that my opponent could turn a missed draw into a bluff raise. Uh, I'd also be worried that perhaps my opponent hit a queen on the river and would know that he can value bet it as a raise if I put out a little bet. Uh, I would worry about a lot more being out of position with what is now 
second pair ace kicker. But against this particular opponent, I'm not really going to worry about anything. Basically, I can take his plays at face value, by which I mean if I do bet this river and get raised, I'll know that my opponent somehow made uh, two pair or something here on the end with something like, I don't know, seven queen? I don't know. Like, really, I don't expect to get raised very often as I'm sitting here trying to come up with a hand that could raise my bet. I don't think that this opponent would raise with ace-queen here, and I'm not even sure that he should because I'm about to do something that is uh, very unusual. So my sizing on this river against this opponent is going to surprise many of you. I put out 28,000. So the pot is 16,600. So we're betting about 150% of the pot here with second pair. Now that may seem crazy to some of you thinking that a bet like this can only be called by a better hand. But this is one of the key exploits that I like to make when facing uh, an opponent with this particular player profile. My value bets are large, very large, and particularly on the river, they're extra large. And I'm fairly relentless with it. I would even make this play with a hand like 10-9 or jack-9, you know, some nine without a great kicker. I'm just not that concerned about the queen. Of course, he could have hit it, but if he does, he's just going to call. The, the good news is that he's also going to call with a lot of hands. I feel like he could call us here with pocket eights, uh, any nine, any seven, probably even a pair like pocket threes. This is just an opponent against whom we can really put in the big value bet and expect to get paid by worse. So normally when we overbet, we are polarized. So I should overbet when I have a full house or a missed flush, for example, right? That would be a normal range from a GTO standpoint for this type of bet. Like, especially if I don't have ace high, which has showdown value. If I had a hand in the big blind, something like, let's say eight, four of diamonds, right? So I check the flop with my open-ended straight draw slash flush draw, made a bet when the board paired on the turn and now missed everything, so I'm just going to rep the six or better with this big overbet. So that is a good strategy against a talented opponent or even just a competent opponent, but against an inexperienced, loose passive opponent whose biggest mistake is calling way too often with way too many hands. This is a spot where I can really go for maximum value for my hand. So I'm not really polarized. I may be representing either a full house or quads or a missed draw, but I don't really need to have what I'm representing. And I don't think that my opponent will view this bet in the same light as most of you listening to this would. So I put out this bet and I remember that he called rather quickly because I thought that I was going to lose the pot by how fast my opponent called the river. Uh, he, he actually called with ace of diamonds, jack of diamonds. So uh, I went a really big pot and just expanded my chip lead with this play. Interesting spot because we normally think of these overbets as being something you only do 
when you want to be polarized. But here I did it with what is decidedly a medium strength hand and it worked out. I know it's a strange play that I made and I don't just share hands that work. As you guys know, if you listen very often, I very, very often share hands that I lost or that I feel I made a mistake. But I wanted to share this hand because it was one of the best hands I played all of last week. From an exploitative standpoint, I got the most that I think I could have gotten for my medium strength hand. But against a calling station type of opponent, the the moral of this story is value bet big and value bet relentlessly and allow them to make an even bigger mistake. So that'll be it for this episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Please do take some time to share your thoughts on Twitter at Clayton Comic. I always love interacting with the listeners. Uh, if you haven't done so yet, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes, Stitcher. Um, what else are we on? Spotify, Podbean, and just show the love. We always appreciate it. It really, really helps us grow our audience. And of course, the bigger the audience for this podcast gets, the more likely uh, the powers that be will continue to allow me to bring it to you each and every week. So if you are going to be playing in the United States version of the World Series of Poker, if you're lucky enough to be in one of the two uh, fortunate golden ticket states, New Jersey and Nevada. I hope to see you at the tables in the next few days. And good luck to all of you. And for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you all so much for listening.
can't read about poker face. She's got to love nobody. Can't read my, can't read my, no, she can't read about poker face. She's got to love.